Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell an investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Chris Demuth, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, Andrew Walker. It is Monday, December 5th, Repeal Day. Happy Repeal Day, everybody. Um, Andrew, uh, this is the anniversary of the end of Prohibition. Uh, to start off with, any favorite drink or drink-related uh, company or investment that you like? Well, Chris, you have been celebrating uh, yes. Repeal Day. Yes. I'm sitting down, and we both have glasses of water in front of us, and you have a, a rival-sized glass of, is that rye? Rye whiskey. Rye, rye whiskey. So, uh, well, only for this, though. I've been almost a complete teetotaler since the beginning of September. A few asterisks along the way, <laughs> yes. but, but, but for the most most part. Uh, but I feel, you know, we, we reclaimed a liberty on that day. It should be celebrated. Well, you know, I personally don't necessarily have a favorite uh, drink or drink related company right now. I think that's really has to do with pricing. I think if you drinks and drinks related companies tend to be CPG, consumer packaged goods companies. Yes. And over the past five years, CPG, consumer packaged goods companies have had an incredible run up in multiples. Uh, most of them are very mature companies. You know, mm-hmm. you think of a Coke or a Pepsi, they're very mature companies. There's not a lot of growth. And they've really been uh, trading up because they offer very safe, consistent dividends. And I haven't been able to find much of a margin of safety there. So I, I don't personally have too many. I've looked at some very speculative small ones, but I haven't seen too much I like there. So I'll, I'll ask you, do you have a, a favorite uh, CPG company? You know, as, as an investment, uh, well, there's two ways of thinking about it. As a business, before you look at the public ones, um, uh, brown liquor is actually somewhat expensive and subtle to make. Clear liquor is the easiest thing in the world. I have a friend that works at Cargill, and he said that he has the, something he sells by the 18-wheeler that is it's an ingredient in a well-known glass cleaner, uh, and it is pennies per gallon, and it is chemically identical to Grey Goose Vodka. It is a vodka for all intents and purposes. Look, that's why all the dystopian future movies, like I think it's The Matrix, where it's like, oh, you can either you can either clean an engine out with this, or you can drink it to get pretty drunk. You're not going to exactly. like the way it goes down, but you'll like the effects. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, businesses, let's see, in the past... Um, you know, I, I've looked at whenever there were spinoff or takeover opportunities, um, but they all are a bit on the expensive side. In terms of operations, I'm a huge fan. I, I, I should say I used to have a large position in Anheuser-Busch uh, before it was acquired and became part of Anheuser-Busch InBev and then later was made public again. Uh, uh, AB InBev is one of my favorite management teams. I'm certainly, I follow them very carefully as a potential buyer, but don't own any equity, wouldn't own any equity, can't own any equity because I can't afford it. It's just, it's like, it's a neat business, but just too expensive yeah, for well, outside minority passive a, investors. AB InBev, they, they just bought, who was it they just bought? Uh, they just did that big merger that just got approved. Was it SAB Miller they just bought? Yes. Yeah, they just bought SAB Miller and and I believe just last month they were they were in talks to raise another ten billion dollar fund or something. That, sorry, three G, who is the mastermind behind ABM Bev. So we've talked about three G so many times on this podcast. But there's definitely a question, as you said, who's the next target? Because they just raised ten billion. We've mentioned on this podcast a lot of people think they might go after Coke. There, I'd be very curious to see what they could do in cost cutting there. There are plenty of others, but they're definitely on the prowl right now. And their management is very incentivized with comp tied towards uh, something that looks consistent with the deal. So we'll see. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask you uh, is about modern prohibition. You know, we went through this era of uh, uh, alcohol prohibition. I think it was really 
seeking to limit a liberty uh, to solve uh, the wrong solution for a real problem. I think it was largely based on domestic abuse. Uh, guys would come home from the factory, drink a bunch, beat their wives, and this was a very real problem in the 20s. Uh, but it was at a time when women didn't have any economic liberty. It wasn't easy for them to divorce. It wasn't easy for them to own property. They kind of economically had to get married. And uh, they married drunk jerks, and they tried to get rid of the booze as opposed to get rid of the jerks. And uh, once that was possible, you didn't need prohibition anymore. Modern prohibition, uh, we still have... Uh, on pot and uh, recreational drugs. Uh, I think it's reasonably likely that we'll have our own repeal day within the next few years. But that just took a big step back uh, in the last few weeks with the drug warrior uh, attorney general uh, pick, uh, Mr. Sessions, Senator Sessions. Uh, so next question I want to ask for you is, do you have any pot picks? Do you have any, uh, any of the uh, marijuana companies that have kind of arisen that are investable? So there, there's two thoughts I have here. First on the prohibition thing, like I... I these are very related. Like, I think it's so interesting. I'm a big basketball fan. I don't watch mm -hmm. as many games as I used to, but like basketball has a no drug policy baked into their labor contract, right? Uh, marijuana is included in that. Mm -hmm. Now, marijuana is legal in, I, I think it's 21 states at this point, including a lot of states where the NBA is played. So in, in many of these states, it is legal for a player to smoke marijuana, but his contract says that he could be fired from his job if he is caught smoking marijuana. So it's very interesting to think about that. And along the same lines, I think it's very interesting... You know, right now there are no big businesses that are really in the marijuana industry. Banks, if you if you've seen any of these documentaries on marijuana, banks will not finance mm -hmm. any of these uh, any of these small pot growers in Colorado or wherever it's legal because they're worried they're violating federal laws if they do that. No bank, J.P. Morgan's not going to go and say, "Oh yeah, we're going to fund this hundred thousand dollar bank and risk our hundred billion dollar balance sheet." So right now, only small players can be involved in marijuana because no big player wants to risk kind of bringing the wrath of the federal government down on them. But it, like you said, as soon as the federal government steps up and allows that, which I think, you know, maybe it's not going to be in the next four to eight years under the Trump administration, but within the next 20 years, it's almost a given it's going to happen. As soon as the federal government is going to come do it, we're going to see huge consolidation. The synergies between all of the tobacco growers and the tobacco companies and marijuana companies are going to be huge. This is going to be professionalized, uh, you know, kind of corporated very quickly the moment that it's uh, the moment that the federal government allows it to be. I think it could be much faster simply because I do think we're going to take on tax reform and uh, revenue generating a tax reform can be a very, very helpful when you mm -hmm. have a big bang. You know, it's once every 10 or 20 years, uh, the tax could get slightly worse every day for a decade or two yeah. until it's preposterous, until even the ideological opponents of parts of it can't defend it anymore. And so you just fix everything. This would be part of fixing everything. One of our favorite uh, writers, uh, Matt Levine, Matt Levine mm -hmm. for Bloomberg, he's got his newsletter and he, he always makes fun of people who say the tax code couldn't get any more complicated and he says absolutely it could every take day. today's take today's tax code and add one more loophole to it and mm -hmm. that's what happens every day it gets more complicated and i think you're right look we've got we've got uh the republican parties with a significant majority in the house a majority in the senate and the white house never been a better time for tax reform and i think they have to to appeal to their base and and i think younger people you know the uh 
the the polls on legalization have really changed. Um, uh, you know, I was thinking about this over the Thanksgiving holiday as the president pardoned the turkey, mm-hmm. and there are <laughs> hundreds of thousands of young people imprisoned for many many years for you know basic drug uh, possession charges, and they must have looked at that turkey and said, "Gosh, <laughs> too bad for me. <laughs> if only when I was a turkey, I would be getting a pardon from the president." Whenever you have arbitrary rules, it does create a lot of criminality. There's all the profit, all of the demand gets supplied. It simply gets supplied by people who are willing to break the rules. And uh, crime crops up in all sorts of different places. Robbing marijuana distributors, for example, that all have piles of cash, mm-hmm. tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, because uh, they're underbanked. And so that, I think, will change over time. Uh, my view is that all these small pot companies will get wiped out. The big tobacco companies have all the distribution, infrastructure, marketing. Do you think Do you think they get bought out? Or do you think they get bought out or wiped out? Wiped out. Wiped out? I, I just don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, I just don't know what IP they really have. Anybody who has IP, if, if you were a small artist, R&D based pot company just focus on focus on R&D have some IP uh, on something that's that's uh, uh, chemically significant or a brand that really gets uh, uh, gets loyalty look I, I might know the least about marijuana of anyone in the world I, I think I've tried it twice in my life but uh I, I don't I can't believe I just admitted that on a podcast, but uh, I, I don't I don't believe there's any brands out there or anything. Nobody's like, oh, I particularly need this form of marijuana. So I think you're absolutely right. The only thing I, I could think of is uh, any marijuana fields or anyone who's got really good marijuana prices is like the IP behind growing marijuana or something. Th- those probably get bought out. But all the distribution points, all the the small mom and pops, I I, I think you're probably right. It goes away. C stores distribute it, convenience stores distribute it, uh, and Reynolds or someone yeah. is the one who's uh, growing it and selling it. The other problem you have is I think you just get fat and lazy when you have these massive, massive margins because of the legal ambiguities. Mm-hmm. And when they start to get crushed towards kind of market returns, I don't think that many of them are situated, just even in the real estate that they have to hold, to be able to hang in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that was a, I have no good transition for this. I was trying to think of a good transition from uh, repeat day to China. But the other bit of news that was on my mind today was President Obama uh, blocking uh, the Fujian Grand Chip Investment Fund. If you weren't able to pick up from the name, it is a Chinese investment fund. Acquisition of German chip making equipment supplier uh, Axtron. Um, the People's Republic of China is not happy about this move. Uh, PRC Foreign Minister Spokesman Liu Kang called the concerns groundless accusations, and he added that China resolutely opposes, this sounds like a very official PRC statement, resolutely opposes the politicization of any normal commercial takeover. <laughs> of course, that really does beg the question about whether this was a normal commercial takeover. And uh, well, one of my jokes about this is, is it that the PRC trying to uh, trying to uh, lambast CFIUS uh, CFIUS rejections should make sure that they wait until it's actually public. You know, <laughs> you know, because they have all the semiconductors. They're, they're certainly spying on the government, and they probably, you know, if he came out a day before, you know, the president <laughs> was in the Oval Office talking, and he comes out saying that this is this groundless accusations, uh, and the president says, "Well, I hadn't even told anybody yet." <laughs> we know, we know, uh, but uh, they, um, uh, th- this is a big deal. Um, so if he doesn't like politicization, he should brace himself for the. New New inbound U.S. administration, which has more. Uh, 
uh, Andrew, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of this? Uh, I have a view that this one is actually highly legitimate. But what do you think of this kind of thing? Do you, do, you, do you, is this something you take seriously? Is this something that gets abused? A little bit of both. Yeah. Look, I, I think a couple of years ago we've made fun of was it uh, the the Smith the the pork uh, distributor that yes. got blocked on anti that got blocked on food safety grounds, which mm-hmm. I thought was a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know too much about this, but these guys are apparently major uh, major suppliers to some defense contractors. So I can 100% understand the U.S. government blocking this. I think you're absolutely right. If China is worried about uh, the politicization of a lot of processes, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump taking the phone call from the Taiwan government is probably the first indication that there's going to be a lot of this going forward. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny that China is over here politicizing America ta- blocking a takeover where China – uh, expressly forbids a lot of U.S. companies from going in and operating in China Absolutely. unless they kind of play by China's rules, work with a local Chinese partner. And tons of American companies still say, like, they want to go into China, but they're afraid to put their IP in there. They have to basically bribe some local Chinese partner to be their partner. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, absolutely. And and China really is, specifically on the M&A front, is really taking some big, big strides right now. Um, and from the West, I find it difficult to sort through the politics around the state-owned enterprises. I'd love on one of these podcasts to be able to announce someday that I've figured out China. I've kind of gotten to the end of it. I've worked through this uh, and uh, can kind of announce how it all works. I am not anywhere near there now, of course. Um, but they're uh, looking at barring more foreign acquisitions by – and this is where it gets very confusing to me the, – the central government – Barring state-owned enterprises from outbound M&A, which I always figured they kind of work things out ahead of time. Yeah. You know, you think about these as fairly monolithic. We're no longer allowing ourselves, ourselves. to do any of these transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the very large deals, especially deals that are conglomerate deals that don't have uh, synergies. Now, when they talk about synergies in China, and you have to be a little careful on some of the translation issues, I don't think they're just talking about economic synergies. I think they're also talking about inbound IP that they can use elsewhere. For example, uh, agriculture is much less intensive right now. It's less efficient in China by a factor of almost 10 to 1 than it is in the best American uh, uh, acreage. And I think that they'd like to bring inbound a lot of that technology. And and that applies to their Syngenta mergers. Absolutely. Uh, trying to bind Syngenta. Just for a second, you know, it is funny to say, hey, we really object to you blocking this deal on political grounds, but hey, we're also not going to allow our companies to go and make mega, mega purchases outside of China anymore. Like, again, Pot calling the kettle black. Uh, I, I agree with you. The Syngenta one's interesting. It's uh, major synergies. Both uh, the Chem China companies, the Chem China state-owned company that's buying Syngenta, will have some operating synergies, and then I absolutely think they want to bring that Syngenta IP into China. The other one I've been looking at a lot. I haven't played in it at all, but uh, the Genworth merger. Uh, I thought it was very timely to talk about it in this podcast because yes. this morning there was the Wall Street Journal article that said uh, I believe it was two two Pennsylvania life two Pennsylvania insurers are going bankrupt and liquidating who they sell long term care. Genworth has been a distressed insurer for years because their long term care division has uh, their long term care division has kind of failed them. I'm happy to go through the long-term care division if you want. You can go through it. Yeah, no, I think I'd love you to start with that. I I really think that uh, I always get so queasy by the idea of a distressed insurer. It's one of those businesses you can grow. Yep. Any amount you want to, as long as you lower your standards and take more long-term risks. And so distressed and sure, I have to say, just turns my stomach as an investor. But tell me what you think Look, about Look, the long-term care division is a perfect example of what you just said. Uh, you know, I was interested in the Genworth merger to begin with because uh, 
shares were kind of trading at $5.25 per share standalone. And then they came and announced a buyout at $5.40, which is a very small premium. And shares traded from $5.25 to $4 per share on the buyout, which is like, oh my God, as an investor, normally a buyout is a great thing, but you just lost you know, 20, 25% of your money. Uh, but basically, long-term care in general, what happened in the in the mid-90s, it was a big growth industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the in the article in the Wall Street Journal, they say it was a big growth industry because people were – they were assuming 5% of policies per year are going to cancel. We're going to be earn, able to earn 7% per year on, on uh, invested premiums. And the life expectancy of a of a 65-year-old male is 18 years. Uh, it turned out that they only had 0 to 1% of policies canceled. They only earned 3% uh, interest on the premiums. And males lived for almost 22 years instead of 18 years. So they underestimated their expenses. They underestimated – they overestimated how many policies were going to get canceled. And they overestimated their income on the policies. It's been a disaster. All of them have been awful. Genware is constantly having to revise their claims upward. And as you said, it, it shows the issue when you're selling a policy that doesn't – when you're selling an expense that doesn't come due for 20 to 25 years, it's very easy to get yourself into a lot of trouble in the near term by selling underpriced risk. Maybe this was bad statistics. Maybe they just were dealing – every one of these was a variable and they got them all wrong. But they all got them wrong in an adverse direction. My concern is that this is a scenario, a situation where you have salesmen versus statisticians and the salesmen had an active role in the company and were able to nudge everything, trying to get more and more business. So they just kind of unched their, uh, all of their uh, premises towards more business versus better business. And look, if the payout is in one to three years, normally management can also push back on the sales force a little bit. But in this case, if the payout's 20, 25 years and you're a 60 year old CEO, you can say, hey, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to be working. I might not even be on this earth anymore. Why not do that? I'll get rewarded with a growing stock price and more premium. So I, I get more money. Salesforce gets more money. Everyone's happy except for investors 10, 15 years down the line. Once you're the age that you no longer want to buy green bananas, you just want to keep issuing more and more policies. <laughs> uh, anyway, I... I you're the host, so we're out of time, but why don't you take us through Well, since we're out of – according to a well-placed source, we're almost out of time. Uh, so those are our thoughts on Repeal Day, Happy Repeal Day, and on China cross-border deals. Um, if you listen to the podcast and have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. If you did not listen to the podcast and have feedback, please send it out to any other email address that you know of, along, though, with a link to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Wait, we, we have to talk about two things. A, it was really fun having you as the host this time we're gonna to have to start switching it up some more we haven't done sure. this in like a year we're gonna to have to start switching up and b the amount particularly when we talk about tesla the amount of commentary who emails us clearly not having listened to the podcast with uh i, I mean it, it is unbelievable you're I, I was accused of being totally uh kind of in uh in cahoots with tesla even though my one disclosure was i'm short tesla so i don't know about that if, if i am a if i'm a fanboy i think that that should uh, kick me out a uh, disclosure i own reynolds and syngenta and i think that's it for today uh, anything uh, andrew yeah, i actually do own some syngenta as well and we might as well say we we mentioned tesla at the end you said it you're, you're short tesla now that i, I said it I, I have to yeah no i was referring this is actually very meta i was referring only to my disclosure <laughs> Closure, which I now have to repeat because I said it, but it's true. So thank you very much for listening and good night. All right. We'll talk to you guys later this week.